In this interview, I am joined by John Riley Perks, author, teacher, and the butler and attendant for seven years to Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche. Born in 1934, John recounts his childhood during World War II, where he learned to harness his intuition and psychic capacities under the guidance of his mother while avoiding airstrikes and other dangers. John recalls moving to the USA in 1950 and tells of his life there through the decades of cultural change that marked the latter half of the 20th century. John describes his first meeting with renowned guru of Tibetan Buddhism, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, and the subsequent years in his service as personal attendant and butler. John recalls the powerful spiritual field of tantric masters and details how Trungpa worked to dismantle John's ego in a variety of potent ways. John also reflects on the line between so-called crazy wisdom activity intended to enlighten students and the abuse of trust that so many celebrity spiritual masters, including Trumper himself, are accused of. John also explains how to send and receive messages on the wind, the protocol for interacting with spiritual beings, and how to live in the mystery. So without further ado, John Riley Perks. John Perks, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so pleased to be talking with you today. And we were just exchanging information about our various locations. Here I am on Narrowboat in the UK. And yeah. you're in Vermont, where I understand it's getting quite cold now. That's correct. We have a, a house on, in, in Vermont in Saxton's River. On the river, uh, we have uh, 11 acres. The journey to getting there from the UK where you were born is yeah. a rather remarkable one indeed. And we're going to talk about that journey today. So mm -hmm. I wonder if we might begin with your childhood. Mm. Could you say something about where you were born, uh, the context of your upbringing? Yes, yes, yes. Well, I was born in 1934 in uh, Sidcup, Kent. Um, and uh, uh, before the war, and then, uh, of course, along came the war, and we survived. Some of us survived, you know. Mm, uh, I, I, I did have considerable post-traumatic stress disorder, <laughs> which I had to overcome. But um, mm, uh, during the war, my mother said, you know, we, we thought we were going to get invaded. My dad was in the home guard. And uh, so my mother said, uh, if we get invaded, that I should um, go uh, and stay in the woods. We had woods near us, near Chislehurst, actually. And uh, so that was the plan. We also made Molotov cocktails, you know, to throw at the, the Germans. But luckily, we didn't have to do any of that. And uh, then the Americans came later on, and they were great. Uh, we, we had, they gave us lots of food and uh, clothing and uh, uh, things like that. And... Uh, my, my mother married an American sailor, and then we came to the United States. Well, I didn't come right away, but my sisters and my mother 
came to the United States in 1949 or 48, 49, and I came in 1950. So that's basically the, the story of how I got here. And then I've been back and forth. I, I, I went to, came back and went to art school in Exeter for a number of years and so forth and so forth. But um, there we are. That's it, basically, in a nutshell. <laughs> your mother was, you've described her, I think, elsewhere as your first teacher. Yeah, that's right. She was a spiritualist. Um, and uh, we used to go, she used to take me on, she'd do seances, you know. And uh, she was pretty good. I mean, she could, um, before we went into somebody's house, she could tell me where the people were in the house and what they were doing and knock on the door. And then, of course, people were, were there. She also saw spirits and ghosts and talked to them and stuff like that. And uh, I, I was able to do some of that and, and then other other times I was just scared out of my mind. <laughs> so, yeah, she was. She was wonderful. Yeah, I'm curious about that. Hmm. Where do you think that ability in your mother came from? And you said you also had some of that ability. Is that an inherited trait or is it a capacity someone can develop? Um, it, it, it's, it was a native thing, you know, mm -hmm. Living in the country, Sidcup was then part of the country. We had woods all around. And my mother was brought up in Hampshire, in Eversley. And they, the native people had all the, had their own traditions, you know, of healing and, uh, uh, and so forth. And my uh, grandmother was a, a registered um, nurse under the... Um, Queen Alexandra's nursing um, thing that was uh, part of, uh, uh, I think, um, Florence Nightingale had started that. But um, as I said, there was there there was a native kind of um, kind of Celtic or um, early early um, English. Uh, Anglo-Saxon, maybe, uh, tradition that was passed down through families. I mean, we had family, uh, people in Sidcup who had, who had been all there all their lives and had never been to London. And, you know, in those days, we still had um, horses and wagons and uh, the milk was delivered uh by a, a horse man i mean sorry a man with a horse and wagon and then we get um the bone and rag and bone man would go through the streets and yell any old rags any old bones and you know they pick pick those up so it was um uh, we, we've seemed to have come quite a long, quite a long way since then <laughs> But yeah, there's a tradition, which I think is still um, active in some places in in the UK, and certainly in Ireland. Yeah, I'm curious, what is the protocol 
for interacting with these kinds of, I suppose, um, beings. You, you've said elsewhere that you were able to see yourself animals and certain beings with lights around them, and your mother yeah. taught you, your mother taught you how to relate to trees, and yeah. beings in the forest and that sort of thing. I'm yeah. wondering, what's the sort of protocol when interacting with that side of the world? Well, I, I think that if I, 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 at this point, I could talk about um, uh, Buddhism being a big help and certainly deity yoga um, and uh, uh, Vajogini and um, certainly guru yoga helps clear your mind of, um, what would I say, of... Um, interference where you're always thinking about uh, your own particular um, needs or your, your own materialism so that you kind of live you don't live by a clock I was talking to somebody a few days ago about you know living without a, a, a clock or a watch. I don't have a watch or a clock. So um, I wake up early in the morning when the sun rises and I go to sleep when the sun goes down, that kind of thing. So you, you kind of live um, a more, uh, how, how, how could we say, more, more closer to nature life. You know, and you listen to the the birds and the trees and the bumblebees and things like that. <laughs> so it, it it's a simpler. It harks back to a, a simpler time when uh, people uh, lived that way, especially um, Native Americans or or tribal people lived that way, and and they saw beings like uh, uh, American Indians, uh, they still see, uh, they talk about buffalo and horses as people. They say the horse people or the buffalo people or the, the um, antelope people. So they see them as, as uh, actually uh, beings, not just, um, you know, kind of uh, 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 when you um, make when you talk about things and you have designations and I say buffalo and you think okay just a buffalo but but it, it, there's an actual being there a live actual being and so one makes connection and realizes that the world around you is uh, quite alive and quite mysterious I must say I think that's kind of living in a mystery. And one uh, either enjoys living in the mystery or one hates it. Um, so you, you, you have to kind of make up your own uh, mind about that. Yeah. <laughs> Does that help at all? <laughs> it's very interesting. What do you mean by that, making up your mind between enjoying the mystery or hating it? Well, I think that people, you know, life is suffering. Uh, that's also Buddhists understand that. 
and you know there are highs and lows so you don't choose one over the other um on the other hand if you fall in love uh, then uh, you're going to suffer i always chose to fall in love so i knew that it was all temporary but nevertheless um uh, i was willing to do that because um i you know love people and uh, i have children i love them those are so that it's that kind of stuff um I'm an old man, so I am just rambling a bit. <laughs> not at all, not at all. Yeah. While we're on the subject of of these sorts of uh, visions that you had as a child. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did they persist throughout your life? Sometimes these sorts of things uh, one hears, uh, children experience them and then they sort of grow out of it. Did you... Uh, have you continued to have those kinds of experiences throughout your life? I have. I have. The, the, one of the earliest ones is interesting because uh, I must have been about 10 or 11. And and I had these re, re, recurring uh, visions of an uh, Aborigine uh, Australian man uh, standing on a hill. And he was saying that um, when all beings, when uh, human beings are, are kind of integrated, uh, that, that there are no, um, uh, you know, uh, no more tribal, but actually we're all inter-integrated inter and interconnected, then uh, the, um, human beings could evolve. That's what he said. I didn't understand it at the time, but he kept saying that, and, and I kept picking it up. And I was uh, unaware at that time that he was talking on the wind. You know wind? Air. And you can send, with, a, with clear intention, you can send messages on the wind, on the air. And uh, they can be received by people who know or, or have a clear um, idea of how to receive them. It's not a big, it's an ordinary, very ordinary thing um, that we seem to have lost. Uh, many people seem to have lost, you know. Uh, it's, it, it's like people live their lives by a clock or by materialism they can do, go all their lives doing that and it's kind of like uh, being walking dead person um which is very sad but nevertheless that's what we have here <laughs> how does one send and receive on the wind uh I think, um, well, first you can dream. Uh, second, you can um, sit somewhere. If you find a, uh, uh, somewhere where you live, you find a power spot 
and you can uh, uh, meditate there or um, you can just sit and or you make offerings you can make offerings of smoke or um, items you know small items or I think smoke is a good thing uh, it's like a lasso you could do a lasso and you just sit in the smoke and you know Sometimes something comes and sometimes it doesn't. It's like fishing. You throw out your line and sometimes you get a bite and sometimes you don't. <laughs> it's like that. You have to practice. I find the practice of meditation helped me greatly and particularly uh, deity yoga and particularly Vajragini practice, I think. I was uh, um, uh, uh, made a really good connection to Vajogini, who, as you know, is um, um, empty yet apparent quality. That, like it's empty, but it's apparently there, which is a kind of a bit of a mystery. So it, it, you have to be comfortable with with not knowing. Living in the mystery, uh, one could call it, and uh, being uncertain, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. That's very interesting indeed. And I think we might return to this theme yeah. later when you encountered certain individuals who also had great magical potency. Yeah. Um, something else your mother taught you, you've said, was how to play the great game training in deviousness oh said. yes that was uh, very helpful in the war is not to be where the bombs are falling <laughs> so so uh, you know you, you you use your intuition uh there, there were a few times mm, uh, I, I didn't go to school much um but when I did go, there were several occasions where if I, uh, I remember one time that the chain fell off of my bicycle and, and I couldn't uh, ride my bicycle and, and there was an air raid and, and, and um, there was a, a, a bombs went off near the school and uh, some people were killed. And, and if I had been on my bicycle, I might have been in that spot. So there are little uh, what we call uh, coincidence or um, what do you call it? What do the Buddhists call uh, accidents? So when, you, when there's an accident, um, something happens and you pay attention to that rather than uh, oh I, I'm going to do this and then your car won't start so you say uh, okay what's going on here you know things like that <laughs> it sounds crazy but you know that's 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 the slightly the way that you you work and you work with um all beings that way, you know. You so that if you get a lot of pushback, then you don't do it, you know. But you listen more to the your environment. 
and then uh, whether you have an there's an auspicious coincidence that happens a meeting maybe a meeting of people or not a meeting of people that kind of thing fascinating indeed mm-hmm. is there anything else to say about about that time in your life your childhood before you moved to america um i guess uh, there was a lot of fantasy i i read a lot you know i read all the classics and Robin Hood and, you know, King Arthur and all those those things. And my mother would even make me costumes and I'd go and play in the woods and pretend I was one of these beings, um, Robin Hood or, or uh, King Arthur or, you know. And I'd... Um, imagine uh, that I was in a um, Camelot, maybe, or um, something like that, which was rather interesting um, in 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 looking at the world. That it was uh, a mysterious place, and it wasn't a place of um, going to school and sitting behind a desk with your arms folded and listening to somebody um, talk about history, but that you could actually read, uh, um, get books from a library and, and read and study on your own and see where that leads you. So I think that um, uh, um, my mother also told me not to tell teachers that I had visions because then they might put me in a special school or give me drugs to um, to stop it, <laughs> which is which is often happens I think. But um, teaching depends upon a certain relationship with a, a another person with an elder perhaps or doesn't need doesn't need to be a human it could be uh, anything could teach you something if you uh, if your awareness is um, uh, sharp awareness is everything i think you have to keep your awareness yeah what would you say to a young boy or a girl who was having those kinds of experiences, the sorts of experiences you were having, what would you say to them if they told you about it? Yeah, I, w- I would say find, try to find somebody who uh, you can um, talk to, uh, who has uh, either had similar um, um, things happen to them, um, and somebody who who loves you, perhaps you know, find somebody who loves you. I think if you can, otherwise, I I think you could make up a um, an imaginary person. Perhaps I'm not sure. I've done both, so yeah. But it, life is tough, and it's tough on the young people today. It's very tough, and I don't know what the schools are like, but it's tough. 
I mean, you know, um, people talk about wanting to be normal. <laughs> I always like that um, movie uh, um, uh, about Frankenstein where they have the guy go and get the brain and he gets the wrong brain and they say, what did it say on the jar? And he said, Abby. He said, Abby what? He said, Abby normal. <laughs> so, so uh, it, 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 the other thing is, I think if you can find a, a, a native person in America, I, I think you could find a Native American who might become your teacher or Tibetan or um, uh, somebody who has similar experience and understands you and, and will accept you without conditions. That's a pretty hard number to find, I think, but it's possible. You mentioned that you had some rather severe PTSD at that time, which you had to overcome. I'm wondering how that PTSD manifested itself and how you overcame it. Um, panic attacks. I had panic attacks. And I, uh, let's see, how did I overcome it? Um, uh, well, I drink martinis. <laughs> Later on, I drink martinis. But, you know, being with Trungpa Rinpoche, it was a constant panic attack all the time. And uh, so uh, I, I, I had to... Um, Uh, how did I deal with that? I um, I think I just went through it, and you know, I just have a panic attack, and then I'd uh, I just have to go through it. That's all. I I, I could there was no way to stop it sometimes, and uh, um, yeah, I just had to go through it and did learn what I could about it. Yeah. Do you still have panic attacks these days? No. <laughs> I'm too old to have panic attacks. Like my mother used to say, I've lived too long in the woods to be scared of the owls. <laughs> no, no, I don't. Not anymore. No. What was it like moving to America in 1950. What a time to arrive in America, my goodness. What, what was that like, coming from Sitcup? Uh, uh, well, it was, um, it, you, you know, America, yeah, wow. Um, I had lots of illusions about America. I mean, I thought I'd get off the boat and uh, uh, John Wayne would be walking down the street or, you know, there'd be gunfights or things like that. There's still gunfights, but no John Wayne. But um, it was a big adventure, and uh, that's how I how how I saw it. And I wanted to go out west, so I I, I had a number of jobs, and I saved up enough money to buy a um, a Winchester lever action thirty thirty carbine and a pair of cowboy boots, and a ticket to. Um, uh, let's see, the first place I went was Omaha, Nebraska. And uh, 
I went to the Farm Bureau because there was a lot of jobs for farm, farm in farming, and I got a job um, uh, feeding um, pigs, big pigs on a, on a, on a farm where they had a bunkhouse and uh, the guys uh, had a, there were four, four of us. I was the youngest, of course, and they had a big pot belly stove in the bunkhouse. And uh, that first night I started to take off my clothes to go to bed and they, they started to laugh. And I, I, at first I thought, oh, there's some kind of sexual stuff going on. And they, I said, what's the matter? And they said, well, Sonny, you don't take your clothes off to go to bed. You put clothes on. And so they were, everybody slept in the clothes that they uh, wore during the day. And uh, my job was um, uh, to, uh, we had a pair of mules and, and a wagon. And I would go down the rows of corn and shuck the corn and threw it into the wagon. There was a board on, on the wagon and the, uh, cor the corn cobs hit the board and went into the wagon and and the uh, mules would keep up with me as I went down the row. So uh, in the morning, it would take me all morning to fill a, a wagon load of corn. And then I would take, them, uh, take the corn up to this uh, big lot where the hogs were and they were big hogs, and I would shovel out the corn and uh, then go and get another one in the afternoon. So that, that was basically my job there, and I got paid $3 a day, plus room and board. How old were you at that time when you were doing that farmhand work? Oh, the farm work? I was um, 16 or 17, yeah. Where did you go from there? I, uh, from uh, Nebraska, um, I went to uh, um, Muskeet, Nevada, and I got a job. <laughs> I got a job feeding cattle uh, uh, from a guy that had a, a garage, and I slept in the garage, and uh, it was my job to f feed the uh, cattle in, in, in a lot. He had a big lot and, and also to do things like, um, you know, work on a roundup of cattle for, um, to transport them somewhere and things like that. So it was a semi, semi cowboy thing, but I was, <laughs> I was had more, I was more boastful and, uh, um, than, um, uh, skilled at riding, especially at riding. I, um, the, the horses were very kind to me. That's all I can say. Yeah. So I went to Las Vegas and then I came back to New York and, um, as, uh, you know, uh, we started, uh, my wife and I, um, I fell in love with a, a um, a Jewish lady, uh, and uh, uh, um, we we started a school for uh, um, exceptional children, um, 
like they in those days they didn't use the what the term retarded they they'd say exceptional and and the way that happened i was at a um a cocktail party um and i met a guy from the state of rhode island and in those days they were taking uh, uh kids who were 16 17 years old uh, who had um, small amounts of marijuana and they were putting them in 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 in, in prisons and I, I said well what does it what, what does it cost to put somebody in prison and he said something like called oh, um, thirty thousand dollars a year and I said I could do it for 20. And he said, if you can do that, I'll send you 10 kids tomorrow. So, <laughs> so I said, well, give me a little time. And we went out and, and, and bought a farm, uh, a 640-acre farm for $22,000 up in the Adirondacks, close to the, um, in a place called Paradox in a place uh, uh, close to the state park. So it was perfect. And uh, we ran that for uh, 12 years, I think. Yeah. And, and we, what, we, we had a farm there uh, and we would do um, farm work in the morning and then uh, um, uh, class work in the afternoon and what we tried to do was we got hold of a syllabus from the state of New York um, on the uh, on the uh, examinations for passing high school diplomacy courses so we would teach the children or the, the young adults they were we teach them all the stuff of how to pass that uh, those exams so you could get a high school diploma and then you you could go out and you know you're on your own then hmm. so there that's what we did 12 years you hmm. were in the states well from the 1950s so that 20 year period 1950 to 1970 yeah really complete change in the culture happened in that time in in the United States, yes, indeed, yes, indeed, yeah, a lot of stuff. Yes, I call there was one period I call the assassination period where JFK and Martin Luther King and and um, uh, Robert Kennedy uh, all were assassinated. You know, just com completely awful time. I mean, one thing is uh, about America is the gun culture, you know, uh, and I don't have you ever read the Second Amendment, what it talks about. Well, it, it says about, you know, you could own guns and um, to have a well-regulated uh, militia. Um, well, the real well, uh, sorry, the well um, um, regulated militia is like the state guard. Now, in those days, they were talking about 
a gun like this. See this gun? Mm. This is a flintlock pistol. It's a regional one. My brother gave it to me. And it, it, it shoots one shot or two shots every minute. But so now there was no check. They didn't change the law uh, when they had when you could shoot uh, 50 or 100 shots a minute. So it, it, it's it, something has to be done. I mean, they have to amend the Second Amendment, which would be very difficult to, to do because the uh, the gun um, people who make guns they're against that because then they you know they 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 won't make money or or something like that so it's a difficult situation which is going to have to be addressed at some point i mean the you know the world is a paradise really and it's we're just part of that paradise and to treat it and uh, treat each other with um, with hate and, and uh, aggression is uh, crazy. So you have to say, okay, listen, a greater part of humanity is out of their mind. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's tough. And... Uh, Anyhow, uh, that's my political view is is that the 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 Second Amendment has to be um, ratified. It has to be changed. You know, we have to be. Uh, you've got to be. Uh, I I understand that people want to uh, in America to keep the um, uh, the original founders' ideas, but on the other hand. Things have changed since then. Take slavery. Uh, they, they had slavery when they made the Constitution, and it took a long time to actually um, have freedom for uh, African Americans, and, and it's still happening in America um, where African Americans and minorities um, Native Americans are still uh, have to fight for their rights. So uh, it's not over yet. I like America. I like democracy. But in a democracy, you really have to watch out for um, people who want to take it over and uh, organize an authoritarian state. You know, like um, uh, Mr. Adolf did, and Mr. Mussolini, and people like that, who who can all always uh, corrupt um, uh, a uh, de democratic society. So you, you have to be you have to be aware uh, of all of that, and use your best talents to stand up against it. <laughs> I don't think I've ever, uh, I've ever said such a, said such a, a long spiel. <clears throat> Anyhow, <laughs> what about the sixties? That revolution, the music, yeah. the 
the the drugs the yeah. east meets west etc yeah. what about that well you know um um i wasn't much involved in that i mean i, I know you know the beatles we all love the beatles as as a matter of fact um uh, when I was in uh, the UK, uh, uh, and I had gone back there and had gone to school in, at Exeter. And there was a, a teacher named John Epstein, and uh, who happened to be Brian's, Epstein's brother. And we shared a, a basement apartment uh, together. And uh, his brother... Um, Brian said, oh, oh, would you guys like to come up to Liverpool? I have a, a, a shuffle group or a, um, some kind of music group that I'm going to uh, uh, hear. Would you like to go with me? And we both said no because we were in, involved in becoming artists. So, it had, of course, it turned out to be the Beatles. Um, but I um, personally, apart from the 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 shocks, the outward shocks of uh, the society um, was going through, um, I I never actually took. Um, I didn't like marijuana because it it it. it um, it, it made me cough a lot because when you inhale, uh, it, it seemed to hurt my lungs. So it wasn't, um, I didn't do much. Um, and as, as for drugs, I stayed away mostly from them, I think. Yeah. Although I did speak to people who had been on you know, so-called had been to South America and been on um, journeys which seem authentic. I had never done anything like that. I, I don't think I needed to. I was already on a journey. <laughs> and I, 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 I didn't need to increase the dream or uh, vision state that I was in, I, I needed to uh, I, I actually try to keep my feet on the ground, so to speak. I didn't seem to need to do anything. I was okay. Or, or so I thought, yeah. Or so you thought? Yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, I think when I met Trungpa Rinpoche, you know, I lived with him for seven years, I think. And I was his main attendant. And we went together. We went through um, pretty much everything. So that what I mean is that uh, while I thought I was free of concepts, uh, uh, he, point, he continually pointed out that that was not true and that um, I had made up my own uh, reality, and that was also a construct. And that construct had to be dismantled. 
I think that's pretty as pretty simple as I can say it. Yeah. Before you met Chukyam Trungpa, what were you? What 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 about your, if we could say, spiritual uh, life? Could we say that during that time? I know you were reading the Don Juan books and you found those very oh, striking. Oh yeah, yeah. I was reading the Don Juan books and I I was living on my schooner up in uh, Hamden, uh, Camden Harbour in Maine. And uh, a friend of mine, George Marshall, said, oh, do you want to go down and meet this guy, uh, Chugyam Trungpa? He, he, uh, he, he wears bib overalls and smokes cigarettes and drinks, um, uh, drinks beer. Uh, and um, he sounded interesting, so I said, yeah, so... Uh, and the first, uh, I went down to then the place called T Tale of the Tiger, and uh, uh, they they had a big army tent, and I, I went in there, and Rinpoche came in and gave a talk about Marpa, and uh, and and Marpa building all those uh, stone uh, towers and how. Uh, uh, not Marpa, sorry, Melarepa was uh, building the stone towers. And uh, uh, Marpa would would tell him, no, I, I didn't say build him here, he build him over there, you know, that kind of thing. So he had to take it down, had to build it again. So, um, yeah, so I, I and, uh, when I, when I wanted to meet with Rinpoche, because... He seemed um, um, uh, there was a big aura around. I saw a big aura, aura, aura around him, and uh, which was unusual. And uh, so I went up to talk to him, and I looked him in his eyes, and uh, I saw this um, large field with a big sun and crows flying around it and 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 uh, uh it stopped me for a minute and i had to say what the fuck was that? <laughs> and uh he, he, i said can i can we can we have a meeting and he said well we shall see and uh so after that i i i i went to a couple of other um uh, talks, and then there was a um, uh, a sign up on the board that some of the people were going to go to uh, Wyoming um, for a three month uh, retreat with Pumpa Rimche, and I said to myself, um, "Oh, I'm going to go to that," and. Uh, um, somebody came down and said, uh, oh, you have a meeting with Rinpoche. And I said, okay. So I went up to, into the room and he, he was sitting in a chair and I sat on a cushion, meditation cushion. And he said, how are you? And uh, welcome to the family. And what are you doing now? And I said, uh, nothing particular. And he said, well, we have a little get together out in Wyoming. Would you like to go to that? And I said, oh, yes, sir. And he said, good. So that was it. And he said to see somebody about paying for it. And 
I happened to have a little money, and so I paid and went to um, Wy uh, Wyoming um, for that retreat. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what people thought of me because everybody had studied hard and practiced a lot uh, to go to that retreat. And I was, uh, I and another guy uh, were the only ones who went there that were, uh, uh, Rinpoche had invited that um, uh, uh, weren't particularly practitioners. So, uh, um, but um, I learned to, I had, oh, I had been a hunter, you know, uh, mostly a still hunter. So I knew, knew how to sit still. Like when you go to a shrine room, you sit on a cushion and you just sit, sit there. So I, I could do that because um, I had learned how to hunt by sitting still in the woods and waiting for, um, a particular animal to come along, usually deer, and um, could wait for days on end. So I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, yeah, that's um, is that that's a story. Those, these are all stories uh, from an old guy. <laughs> what do you make of that initial impression you had? You. You saw an aura. You were struck by a sort of feeling of of something, and also this vision you had. Um, yeah. What do you make well, of that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I often had that was, you know, I could. Um, it's like an en energy field. Now, Don Sarkensi Rinpoche, the big big Don Don Sarkensi. And His Holiness the 16th Karmapa, they had the same thing, like, they had this energy field around them. Do you mean uh, Dilgo, do you mean Dilgo Kensi Rinpoche? Dilgo Kensi Rinpoche, yeah, not Donsa. Well, Don, Donsa, yes, um, but, um, yeah, later, but uh, Dilgo Kensi Rinpoche, yeah, yeah. And so you entered this um, energy field. It, it, it was like passing through a... Um, into another realm, perhaps you could say that, uh, and that that extended for a few blocks around where they were staying, and I could always feel feel that I had that feeling of of doing that, and uh, it, it was very blissful. Actually, kind of a, had a very blissful um, feeling to it. I, I I felt blissed out <laughs> being in their presence, you know. And, and and a lot of times I didn't understand a damn thing of what they were talking about in, in terms of Buddhism, but I just loved being in that energy, and and of course serving them, and that's how come I uh, got to be a, a, an attendant by serving Trungpa Rinpoche. And uh, taking care of him, yeah. When did the dismantling begin? All the time. It went on all the time. 
<laughs> all the time, all the time. Like I, I was trying to be a Buddhist, right? So I, 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 I have a shrine with a a Buddha on it, and and bowl, offering bowls and incense, and he, he, he would, uh, he would come in and mess it up, stuff like that, and or, or he would always. Um, when I when I said about practicing, he, actually he never he never encouraged me to practice. I I did he no I don't think he did, but I I did the practice. I did all the nundra stuff, you know, and uh, but he'd always try to fuck it up somehow <laughs> when I got too serious about it. Uh, like he'd tie my shoelaces together and, you know, uh, play tricks on me, you know, uh, call me in the middle of the night and say, what are you doing? And uh, I I want to, he liked, um, I don't know whether he liked it or he did it just for me. He liked um, um, uh, spam, uh, not spam, corned beef uh, sandwiches. He'd, he'd take corned beef sandwiches with um, with a cup of tea or with a a bottle of sake, <laughs> so I had have to go and make these things in the middle of the night. They had a bell right above my bed, and it was a big alarm, and they he'd ring it, you know, and I'd have to uh, run up and uh, do something or whatever it was he wanted. Yeah, I loved it actually. <laughs> I love serving him. Yeah, it's, it's how um, I learned to serve Guru Yoga. You know, one does Guru Yoga. Um, uh, you know, uh, practice uh, where you uh, the teacher is actually on top of your head. You know, and you, know, you and the teacher become inseparable beings. Which is uh, also like um, empty yet apparent. Um, the emptiness of the uh, teacher and the apparentness of physical form of the teacher. Um, I think that's the way to say it. Yeah. So that's that also helps. Um, This deconstruct your construction. <laughs> yeah. You said you love to serve him. Yeah. You said that with some some feeling. Can you can you say some more about that? Well, you you you, you had to have a awareness, good awareness. Um, um you know, I, I once was in a situation where I was the only white guy serving about six Rinpoches who were at a meeting. So I had to go into the room carrying this tray and you had to carry the tray above your head like this and then you, you had to serve them. So um, I had to learn those things, how to do that uh, from the monks who showed me how to do that and how to cover my, my mouth like that, you know, so you don't breathe on it. You carry the tray in. 
so your your awareness is you can't lose your awareness. You can't um, think about something else when you're serving. You're you you are serving, and that's what you're doing. You can't be down the road um, or uh, uh, in your car, or you can't think about making love to your girlfriend. You've got to actually be there in the in the present doing the action of service. Yeah, that's it. You know, dismantling. Yeah. Sounds maybe... Yeah, I was about to say that. It sounds <laughs> face value painful. Yeah. Why painful. would you... Why would, why would you... What convinced you to undergo such a process? Uh, 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 because... I uh, loved Trungpa Rinpoche, and um, I, I, I cert and certainly Delgo uh, Kensi Rinpoche, and uh, so only in the sixteenth come up. I was very fortunate to spend time with those three gentlemen, um, and uh, I, 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 I. I it wasn't a question of trust. It was a question that I I love them. I love them. Yes, sir. Uh, even though love, I don't use that a lot because love donates uh, ownership. Uh, compassion is having compassion for things is is more open. But it's hard to say, oh, I compassion you. <laughs> so basically you say I love you and uh yeah I, I I love I love being in in their presence and serving them yeah absolutely it was like being in open space that was filled with uh joy or brilliantness or brilliance, or brilliance, yeah. And what was it like being in such close proximity for those seven years with Trungpa Rinpoche? Well, um, Don Sarkensi Rinpoche asked me that question um, when I met with him, and I said, um, wonderful, awful. <laughs> And he understood what I was talking about because it's wonderful, but at the same time, it's awful because um, it's uh, it, it's a painful process. Uh, you know, you, you're always thrown back on your own neurosis, and you have to work with that. And it's not pretty. Sometimes it's not very pretty at all. You know, and. Uh, and other times it's brilliant. So you're tossed between those two things. It's kind of like being a tennis ball in, in the middle of the air. <laughs> Groundless. Groundlessness is um, terrifying. Yeah. It's like dying. Somebody asked me recently, well, are you scared of death? And I said, well, if I was the first being in the universe to experience death, I might have concerns. 
but since it's pretty it's pretty widespread i think <laughs> one should um, it could be an adventure who knows or not there could be nothing or there could be something who knows we'll find out <laughs> yeah much is said about the much warnings i suppose are issued about proximity to a vajra master mm. um and not everyone lasts or everyone i suppose survives yeah yeah the contact how was it that you were able to to endure to last those seven years in such close proximity um well there's the two answers to that one is that maybe i was just stupid <laughs> or the other one is that um um having gone through the war as a, as a, as a child um and experienced a lot of um hardships that, that i wasn't going to give up that's for sure and uh i particularly was not uh, awfully interested in becoming an enlightened person as a matter of fact i didn't care much about buddhism uh in the beginning but i only learned it because um i i it was around me and i saw these guys and um you know um i wouldn't give up i guess that, that was it I, yeah i wouldn't get i wouldn't give up um and, and people you're right people did come and people did go uh, and you get hurt and a lot of people were hurt and, and they they'd run away and um, it, that was understandable but uh yeah i i didn't i didn't run away if you weren't trying to become enlightened yeah what were you what were you doing it seems that perhaps at first glance that would be the whole point well, in the beginning, I think that's true. You you want to become uh, a, a, like a Buddha, yeah. But after a while, um, that wears out, and and you're just dealing with washing the dishes. <laughs> so so you wash a lot of dishes, and uh, you know you clean up a lot of um, mess and things like that. So i always think that there are a lot of buddhas around particularly in hospitals when when we went through the pandemic and uh, the the nurses and doctors are, are like like buddhas they take care taking care of people so you don't have to do anything um, special to be be an enlightened person i don't think you, you just have to take care of uh, other beings um and yourself, I suppose, in a certain way. And uh, it's, it's a tough, life is tough. And it's certainly not getting any easier for, for people. I worry about younger people. Uh, and I certainly worry about um, the, I think we've talked about the, uh, um, materialism 
that that people experience, which is killing one's spirit. I uh, there was a lady I I, I talked to. Um, she lived in um, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and I said, "What's it like?" And she said, "Well, they're building soulless houses, row upon row upon row." And you know, that's that's it. You know, that's the whole story. And uh, soulless people have to live in soulless houses and go to soulless work and become automatons, you know. And uh, it's very sad, actually. So, um, no, I, I, I. I stayed because I was in love. That was it. Perhaps this is a silly question. What? Do you think Trungpa Rinpoche loved you? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, much... Um, um, yeah, he did, and uh, I was very lucky. Um, I remember one time being on, you know, I always used to fly with him, um, and I had, uh, <laughs> I, uh, we were, uh, he, he said to me, oh, would you go down to the, um, Vajradatu and tell him I want to fly first class and uh, I went down and I said to the people who controlled the money um, uh, she wants to fly first class and they said well we can't afford that and I said well listen why don't we go and find a Tibetan who'll get, get on a a, a greyhound bus we could get somebody cheaper <laughs> <laughs> they didn't like that. So we both ended up flying first class. But we, this one time, um, he was flying with the regent, uh, Ursula Tenzin, and they were up in first class. And I was back in economy, and I was feeling all, you know, here I am in in, in economy, and the, uh, the, uh, flight attendant came down and she had a tray with a glass and, and a bottle of wine on it. And she said, this is from uh, Trungpa Rinpoche. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, he loved me, yeah. I have no idea why. Maybe because I was some kind of a oddball person. Maybe, I don't know. But it was mutual, you know, uh, Long Chenpa, he talks about Guru Yoga being uh, a, a, an important uh, step to um, realization. I, I generally, rather than saying enlightened, I say realization is, is a better word for us Westerners, because if you start to think you're enlightened, you might... Um, do things that uh, will get you in a lot of trouble. So realization is better. So I realized this 
I realized I was a fake. And I realized that I had constructed my whole reality. That's realization. And uh, also realized I was in love, which is okay. <laughs> so how are we doing now? Are we getting to the end? If you'd like to stop, we can. Well, uh, do, do, you, do you have uh, any more pending questions? I do, but we could we could revisit them in a second episode if you like. If we could we could pause here. Um, uh, yeah, I think it would be a good time. I I have a lot of uh, um, cooking and cleaning to do. All right. <laughs> my wife goes to work, and I, I take care of the house. And also, my son is coming to visit. In a few days, so I, I have to uh, chop some wood because it 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 gets very cold here. So I've mm -hmm. got to go and chop wood, and uh, uh, and 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 cook dinner. All right. Might I ask you a final question then? Sure. You mentioned that you know, or I mentioned that proximity to the to a Vajra master is. Uh, you know, there are warnings about that. Watch out. Yeah, yeah. Know what you're getting into. And you mentioned that people were hurt and yeah. did leave. Of course, you're, you know that. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> Go ahead and say it. You know that there are people who don't share your admiration for Trung Rinpoche. In That's fact, right. yeah. yes. Yeah. And in fact, accuse him or report him, um, accuse him of things like uh, abuse, abuse yeah. of yeah. students and yeah. drinking and uh, cruelty. Yeah. <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm always, you know, I always think about um, uh, Marpa and Milarepa and those towers, and that um, uh, uh, I think Milarepa could have found a lawyer and would have had a good case uh, against Marpa about abuse, <laughs> definitely. Um, Vajrayana is tough. That's, you know, I, I don't know. I would I would advise people against it unless they're going to go all the way, and if you if you don't go all the way, then you're left with um, you're left with a a great um, solid uh, pain in your heart. Uh, there is abuse, you know, and it, it's hard to sort out whether uh, sometimes whether there's abuse, um, whether there's real abuse, whether the teacher is, is really abusing the students or whether it's part of their training. And I was lucky in finding, I, my feeling was, finding Trungpa Rinpoche and in my relationship, uh, was pretty clean. Was pretty clean. So I I was lucky 
but I could see where people would think. Uh, people have said to me, "Why did why did you you said why did you go through that?" And uh, I I think um, devotion. I I had I was devoted, am devoted, and. Uh, uh, Trungpa Rinpoche would say to me, you know, after I die, uh, uh, I won't go away. <laughs> and it was true, you know, that uh, I, I still dream of Trungpa Rinpoche. Uh, I, I still can talk with him. And maybe it's my own mind talking to itself. But the fact is, is that the guru is always there in my mind. So, uh, yeah. But I understand it. Uh, people got hurt and uh, 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 people say, oh, he's a bad man and all that kind of stuff. Um, maybe yes, I don't know. Uh, I, I also worked with Bill Cosby, you know, who got... Uh, um, Oh, I love Bill Cosby. We had a great time together. And and he, you know, he did all this sexual stuff, and uh, which he did. And but that that still didn't take away from the fact that I I I I I I loved loved him, Bill Cosby. Yeah. That even even uh, the uh, even the probably even Adolf Hitler was uh, uh, they said people said he was very charming if you went to visit him and you know he was a very charming person so I don't know that you you, you can't give up on anybody you know there's always um, something there uh, anyhow I understand what you say and and uh, life is tough. I you have, uh, you know, and it you're aware you can't lose your awareness. Your awareness is everything, and and you can't uh, run away. Well, you can, but you don't go anywhere. You have to face things as they are, and your own uh, intelligence in, and intuition has to tell you. Uh, uh, what is going on and even that you should be suspect of so that um, yeah it's certainly true that as you say in the Vajrayana teacher might act in strange ways <laughs> to put it like you know to put it mildly yeah it's also true <laughs> that it's also true that teachers do abuse and hurt their students those that two things true. are True. Absolutely true. Yeah, absolutely true. Do you think that, um, in your in your opinion, Trungpa Rinpoche ever ever crossed that line? Did you ever see that? He he did say to me once. You know, there was this famous thing in 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 in, in the um, one seminary. Uh, Merwin. The poet Merwin was that there was that big blower, and I, I said to him when he came back, uh, I said, "What what happened?" And he said, "He said I went too far. He pushed it too far. That's what he's he felt." 
But he said that, you know. He didn't try to say, oh, I'm the guru, and, you know, anything I do is okay. No, he said, no, I went too far. What about the drinking, that side of things? Oh, yes, the drinking. Well, you know, he had said to us that he was only going to live a certain number of years. I think in the beginning he said 10 years when he started teaching Vajrayana. We never believed it, but you know, he he was um, uh, it, it was like he was not concerned with his own body. Um, so yeah, he, he he he, but he didn't get he didn't get drunk. I mean, a lot of times, uh, I remember one particular time he was. Uh, going upstairs and he was, you know, going like he was drunk. And then he stopped and he said, I'm not drunk, Johnny. This is just an act. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, I always wondered if, um, speaking of PTSD and speaking of seeing terrible things, yeah. no doubt Trump Rinpoche in fleeing Tibet in that whole period, saw some some terrible things. Yeah. Went through some terrible things, at least by any normal standard, they could be described as such. Yeah. I wondered, I've often wondered, if that contributed to the drinking. No, 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 I don't think so. No. Oh, no, no, he, he liked to drink. He he didn't uh, uh, yeah he liked uh, he liked sake yeah so <laughs> I said oh, why do, what, what is it about sake that you like and he said I like the taste tastes good so I said oh, well okay <laughs> uh, and he, it is true he he didn't he he didn't uh, uh, he didn't seem to get drunk. He didn't lose his awareness. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and and and, and we t we did LSD together, you know. And he'd never lose his. He did more than any of us, and he he was always present. He was always there. Uh, he didn't lose his awareness. Thank you for answering those those questions. Uh, you mentioned, for completeness' sake, you mentioned Bill Cosby. Yeah, and, uh, you mentioned, of course, um, everyone will know. I'm sure uh, what uh, what you're talking about when you talk, refer to Bill Cosby's uh, sexual crimes and so on. Yeah, um, am I right that in saying that you were not aware of those? Actually, I've heard you uh, somebody ask you that already. Did you know what was going on? And I heard you answer that you didn't know. Uh, is that correct? Yeah, that's I, I. I didn't. I didn't know what was happening. No. No, I didn't. I, I was very shocked when I, I found out. And and I was slightly angry at. Well, I wouldn't say slightly. I was kind of angry at him. But but then, you know, I got over it. And uh, yeah. I didn't know what what was going on. No, well, he he no, I didn't. But after after I found out, then then certain things uh, uh, fell into place, and I understood um, how that happened. Yeah.
and he he had set it up, you know, with ladies, yeah. Well, gosh, thank you very much for answering my questions and talking about your life so generously. I appreciate it. I would love to talk to you again sometime about Celtic Buddhism. Sure. Oh, yes, I would like to talk about that too. So yes. Let's make another date, maybe after Thanksgiving. Okay, wonderful. Excellent. We'll do that. Okay. Uh, John Perks, thank you very much. And thank you. Lots of love. <laughs> thank you for listening to another Guru Viking podcast. For more interviews like these, as well as articles, videos, and guided meditations, visit www.guruviking.com.